<clears throat> I'm here this weekend with a very particular and very heavy and intense burden. Even though we're having a kind of area conference, yet the Lord wants to speak something here for the benefit of his entire recovery, for the whole body, and for the direction and move of his recovery. And this concerns a particular aspect of the status of the church. If I say status, and you say status, we can still have fellowship. Okay? And it is possible and actual for us to live and practice our church life positively on two different levels. And some remain for their whole church life history on one level, never going beyond that. So one level of practicing the church life is in actuality to be primarily conscious of your locality and you actively and devotedly give yourself to the church life there as if it were an end in itself. As if the Lord's intention was simply to build up a multitude of churches locally. We all have to begin here. But when we consider the status of the church and begin to see it is the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ that is universal. And a genuine local church is a local expression of this one mystical, universal, organic body of Christ. So in every locality, there's the need for brothers and there's a need for sisters who in their experience of Christ as life and in their personal life with the Lord have a consciousness that the Lord is building one church universally and although we are in a particular locality, we are part of the one universal body of Christ. Then we begin to enter into the life of the body. We begin to discern the needs in the body intuitively in our spirit. We know what it is for one member to suffer and we all suffer together. For one member to rejoice and we all rejoice together. We realize all over the earth, in so many languages, so many nations, the one God is doing one thing to build up the one body of Christ. Amen. Then, so the second level of practicing the church life is to be no less given to the actuality and practicality of the church. Yet in our being is a consciousness and a realization 
we are part of something far beyond our locality, our region, our country, our continent. God is wanting to do something truly corporate in an organic way. And this is to have the church that he said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. That is the church we're talking about. We need to realize, based on the word, and I'll read some verses to you to show where we're standing on the word. The universe exists because of God's desire to have a corporate expression of himself in Christ. And Christ himself is the embodiment and expression of the triune God. I have just given you a definition of what the church is according to the book of Ephesians, according to God. The church we're talking about is not a religious entity. It's not a mere congregation. It is the corporate expression of Christ. And this Christ, whom we are expressing corporately, is the embodiment and expression of the triune God. And God's eternal purpose for which he created the universe is to have on display to all the spiritual beings and to the whole universe a glorious corporate expression of Christ who is the embodiment and expression of the triune God. Amen. This was the purpose planned in eternity past. Its consummation will stand eternally Amen. in the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. And space and time were created as the bridge, as the means for this eternal purpose to be carried out. And my personal conviction is the meaning of any human life and the meaning of any genuine Christian life is determined by one thing. Does your human life in all of its stages and your Christian life in all of its aspects, is it a contribution to the fulfillment of the desire of God's heart, to the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose, to the doing of his perfect will, to the carrying out of his economy. I'm very much aware that the time will come when I and all of you will stand before the Son of Man at what is called the judgment seat of Christ. Our whole life will be evaluated, not for salvation, that is not based on anything we do, that is eternally secure. Our sins have been forgiven and forgotten. We have been born of God once for all. We cannot be unborn. We have eternal life. We will be part of that eternal city. But the Lord knows he redeemed us, saved us, and regenerated us for a purpose, 
So he may very well inquire, what did you live for? What were your values? To what extent did your life on earth in the time I measured out to you, to what extent did it contribute to the fulfillment of my eternal purpose? And at that time, there'll be very famous TV evangelists, signs and wonders people, theologians from Princeton, from Yale, from Harvard, from Oxford, from Cambridge. They will all realize everything you said, everything you did was nothing but theological vanity. That's all you have to present now is what you had on the moment you were saved. Your life, as far as I am concerned, was a waste. But here is a person, for instance. He was born in southern China early in the 20th century. I created him exceedingly brilliant, even a genius. I saved him when he was young, and he gave himself to me without reservation. And his life, especially in its sufferings, made an eternal contribution to the fulfillment of my eternal purpose. Amen. Can you now see why I invite him to the wedding feast? I welcome him into the coming kingdom. And I say to you, you need now to make up what you lacked. And I'll see you in a while. So God's eternal purpose is to have a corporate expression of himself. Now I read some verses from Ephesians that are the basis for the release of this burden. Chapter 3, verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he made in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose. In 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, that God created, that God saved us and called us for his own purpose. That's why we were all saved, Timothy, for God's own purpose. Amen. Then in chapter 3, when he is encouraging Timothy because so many had forsaken his ministry, but Timothy was absolutely one with him. He said, you have closely followed my teaching, my purpose. So in 1.9, we have God's own purpose. In chapter 3, I think it's verse 10, we have Paul's purpose. These are not two purposes. When Paul said, my purpose, that was God's purpose that had become the purpose of his very existence. And Timothy closely followed Paul's purpose. And by so doing, he closely followed a person whose being, whose living, was for God's eternal purpose. 
So this shows a pattern for us that God's eternal purpose may remain an objective truth. It may remain a doctrine that we're familiar with. Or it may actually become our own purpose. No matter what our human situation is, no matter what stage of life, whether it's in joy or sorrow, life or death, anguish or ecstasy, we're familiar with all of them. Deep within, we can tell the Lord, I am here in this situation. I may not understand what's going on, but I am here living for your eternal purpose. Amen. Every important decision I make concerning marriage, concerning education, concerning location, concerning how I raise my family, whatever it is, I have to live a normal human life in all practicality. But Lord, in my being, this is just to enable me to be here for the length of my days, to live for your eternal purpose. Amen. Then in the light of what God planned in eternity, he created the universe and he created the earth and he created human beings with a spirit and not only a soul and a body. And we know from Genesis 1.26 that these human beings, male and female, God created them. God was very clear. He said, they will bear my image. That is, they will be my expression. That's why they exist. And they will represent me with my authority to deal with the enemy and recover the earth. This is why we were created. We will see when we go through the outline. The human beings created by God were all fallen, were alienated from God. So the original creation can no way carry out God's eternal intention. So we call... The corporate person God created, the first man. Then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks of the second man, the Lord from heaven. And the second man, God became, God becoming flesh, God incarnated to be a man. He personally expressed God with God's image. He personally represented God with his authority. He personally fulfilled God's purpose. Amen. But God's purpose is not to have just his son expressing him and representing him, but to have a corporate person. So the only begotten son was given to die on the cross as the sin offering and while he was on the cross, he fulfilled the righteous requirements of God's judgment. He terminated every negative thing. 
He destroyed the devil. He released his divine life. And in himself, while he was on the cross, he slew the enmity. He tore down the dividing wall. And he created in himself one new corporate man. And we read about this in chapter 2 of Ephesians 14 through 16. For he himself is our peace. He who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition, the enmity, abolishing in his flesh the law of the commandments and ordinances, that he might create the two in himself into one new man, so making peace, and might reconcile both in one body to God through the cross, having slain the enmity by it. The enmity we're observing in our society today, actually in the sight of God, all enmity has been slain. But he must have the church here testifying to that victory, testifying to the creation of the one new man. Then in chapter 14, uh, chapter 4, Paul goes on. He's addressing a particular local church. And in verse 22, he says this, that you put off as regards your former manner of life, the old man. And the old man is the totality of our communal living. Our culture, everything related to it, everything in the old creation is the old man. Put off the old man, which is being corrupted according to the lusts of the deceit. This is a personification of the enemy. The fallen humanity is totally under the control of the deceit. Then verse 23, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We'll address this either tomorrow night or the Lord's Day morning. Something is happening inwardly, which is renewing us. Then verse 24, and put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and holiness of the reality. Forty years ago, almost exactly, a number of us from the United States were visiting the churches in Taiwan, and we were there for a very important conference Brother Lee held in Taipei. And he released profound, enlightening, awe-inspiring messages on the church as a corporate person, as the one new man fulfilling God's purpose. And these are, they're given in Chinese, but were translated, they're in the book, the body, the spirit, and the one new man. It was exhilarating. It was breathtaking. And we have the realization, Brother Lee, while speaking this, 
He is in this. This is a reality to him. Then when he returned to his dwelling place in Anaheim, California, he immediately, at another conference, gave more messages published in the book, The One New Man. Then almost immediately, the enemy attacked directly. And he could attack directly because he had a human vessel whose being with incredible ambition was made available to the enemy. And this man publicly proclaimed himself the universal coordinator of the one new man. And he held up what we had as a phone then. You may have to do a Google search to see what phones looked like in 1977. And he just wanted to make a few calls and direct the situation everywhere. Tell this brother, you move here. Tell this brother, you stop being in the lead. Tell this brother, you're in the lead. And, and a blow was struck that caused us in the recovery, to lose 40 years. 40 years. I've been here for all those years. And yes, in the life study of Ephesians, Brother Lee spoke a message, and Colossians, he spoke a message. But it hasn't penetrated. Sometimes the spirit in the ministry can give us the intuitive realization whether something has penetrated or not. And when we sense that it has, that is a blessed moment. When it's now in the body, it's circulating. But we will see from this outline that the actual fulfillment of God's eternal purpose depends on their being on the earth in this age the corporate one new man reaching maturity in all the local churches. If none of us in this room, and there's quite an age range, so I'm projecting into the future for you 20-somethings, if we do not give him, the Lord, the cooperation to actually work this out. To actually have a corporate person where there, there is absolutely no enmity, no bias, no divisions. Every negative thing is terminated. Christ is all and in all. This new man, this new man matures. When you meet anyone who's part of this, you see the expression of God in Christ. And also this one new man is God's deputy authority. See, it is a fact. Brother Lee stated this in the life study of Ephesians. He knew it was a fact. The enemy eventually realized what happened on the cross. That's why he tried to prevent it in the last three hours. And there was a spiritual warfare at the cross. 
during which time Christ stripped off the principalities and powers and put them to an open shame. But the enemy even now is terrified by the fact that in the sight of God, the one new man exists. This is the word. We don't see it outwardly. We see the opposite. We see a worsening of the opposite. But according to the divine revelation, Christ on the cross created one new man. And now we are here under the Lord's covering and and clothed with the whole armor of God. We're here to tell the enemy, your days are coming to an end because this one new man will be manifested on the earth. It has to actually happen. Things like the perfect will of God, God's eternal purpose, the desire of God's heart, they can't remain just merely expressions we're familiar with. It has to actually happen. In one of the later messages, probably, we'll devote attention to a part of Ephesians 4.13. Paul says, until we all arrive at a full-grown man. So the Lord now wants us to revisit this step by step. We're not in a movement, step by step. And the two major steps that are woven into these outlines and into these messages are these. First is a renewed vision of the church as a corporate person. One new corporate human being. And then the second is to present to you what I call lines of development. And seeing these lines of development, I believe will encourage many of us and motivate us It's somewhat like what's in a father's heart for his daughter or his son when they're young. He knows full well in human life there will be lines of development. You're a little girl now. You're a little boy now. But my heart is set on your full development and your attainment as a human being. So in no way... Will it be beneficial to us to look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm short of this, or oh, I don't experience that. That that won't accomplish anything. Let's all be very simple and just come to the Lord just as we are. Just where we are. Whether we thought we would be somewhere else or not, let's just start where we are and open our being to the light to see the vision, then to receive the Lord's supply and direction. This is what needs to happen. Okay, I'll outline it for you. This is what needs to happen inside of your being. It has to actually happen to you. That all of us, our mind is structured, it's constituted 
with our culture, with our racial identity, with our ethnicity, with our nationality. This is a necessary human development. But it's these things that have been structured into us that are the dividing elements. Where at most people try to tolerate each other or bear with each other. What the Lord wants to do is to reconstitute all of us, preserving the way he created us with the diversity. He will never set that aside. We will have our identity eternally. But he wants to change the constituent of our makeup so that actually the image of the resurrected Christ is formed in our soul. We're transformed into the same image from glory to glory to glory. And then this image is solidified by what's called confirmation where we are all expressing the same Christ. He is our life and he is our person. Then in our being what's called the spirit of the mind. That is the regenerating divine spirit mingled with our regenerated human spirit to be a mingled spirit. This spirit wants to saturate our mind and renew it. This is Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. And to put it very simply, referring to us all personally, in your lifetime, this will either happen in you or it will not happen. So some may be in the church life from my generation that are still here, 50 plus years, and their mind may be the same as it was the day they came to their first meeting. Everything was outward. Right? Everything was outward. They do all the correct things outwardly, but the Lord never had a way to spread from the mingled spirit into your mind and to deal with everything that's there, every concept, every opinion, every thought, every bias, every prejudice, every view that's contrary to reality. And then to be transformed so that we become his expression. That involves the soul. The spirit is the organ for contacting God, receiving God, and containing God. The soul is the organ of enjoying the Lord and expressing him. So how will we end our journey as a Christian? The victorious way is that you end as a person in whom the image of the resurrected Christ has been formed and you express him. We've seen this happen. This happened recently in the life of a middle-aged sister, still in her 40s. This was the Lord's arrangement that he would receive her to himself. But she ended in victory because she was one with the Lord 
She opened her being to the Lord, and the Lord was shining out of her. So although we must know the truth objectively, understand the word accurately, and see the vision clearly, that is only the initial part of the burden. What I'm here for and what I'm fighting for is the actuality of this happening in me and in all of us so that the Lord will actually have a corporate person all over the earth. Our languages are still different. The externalities of our culture are different. But inwardly, we, are all, we all have been Christified. Amen. So in a very real sense, we'll see later in another message from Colossians, there is no this, there is no that, there is no this, there is no that. There's no class distinction. There's no cultural distinction. There's no racial distinction, no ethnic distinction, no national distinction. All the divisive factors are gone. Yet we still are the created human beings with our diversity. But Christ is the substance of all of us. Amen. And by the Lord's mercy and for his intention, although I'm far from young, I'm still here, getting newer every day, Amen. with help, with a particular kind of help. And so I just, this is my being, longs for this personally and for all of us. And so we don't have to look back. I mentioned the 40 years because that's part of the history. But that motivates me. I believe that verse in Joel very much. God says, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Okay, locusts. Okay, enemy. You had your 40 years. Now it's our time. Now it's the time for the Lord to move again. So the general subject is simply the one new man. Amen. And we're using the word man. I, I know in the humanities departments, you've got to be careful about your, your pronouns. And, and when you say man, oh, you don't include me because I'm a woman. man. And, but when Paul writes anthropos, meaning humanity, he means the totality of all of us human beings. So I'm not going to back down from the Bible's terminology. Okay. But I realize it may take some getting used to. And we will gladly bear with you and fellowship with you and answer and respond to any question you might have about anything. But we're not ashamed to use the Bible's terminology. He created one new human one new corporate human being. Now we go through the outline and emphasize certain points. And I'm very much aware of the time in a positive way because I would hope that there could be even close to half an hour for many to respond. Amen. Giving a message is a body matter. I open the matter up, but we need many, many sisters and brothers of every age, from every level of experience, to echo and respond to this word. The one new man and God's eternal purpose. 
So we somewhat established, based upon Coloss uh, Ephesians 3.11, the eternal purpose which God made in Christ. So he made it in a person. And every aspect of participating in this is personal and involves our personal relationship with the Lord. His being revealed in us, his living in us, his making home in us, his being magnified in us. It's not a thing. The purpose is the corporate expression of this person. One, the church, the body of Christ, is the one new man to accomplish God's eternal purpose. So here, the body of Christ and the one new man are virtually synonymous, just like you and your body are virtually synonymous. And, and you'd rather they not be separated, right? <laughs> you'd rather that you, you just stay as one complete tripartite unit. So you could refer to your body, you could also refer to your person, but both refer to you. So the church, as a new man, exists to accomplish God's eternal purpose. That's why we were saved. Point A says the emphasis on the church being the body of Christ is on life. So we're very concerned with maintaining the life in our body. And the life in the church as the body of Christ is a person. And those who come to know the body realize we all have the same life flowing in us. Just as every member of your physical body is sharing in the same circulating life. There's not a thumb life, an ear life, a nose life, and my flat feet life. There's just the life in the body circulating. This is a great realization. To meet any other believer, no matter what the background is, no matter what the human differences are, a gender difference, an age difference, a social difference. We were both born of God. We're both children of God. Amen. We have the same life. How can I not love you? How can I not want to have fellowship with you? How can I not aspire to be one with you? We have the same father. I, I enjoyed very much. I was traveling with a brother. I'm obviously a Caucasian American. He was a tall, strong, handsome, African-American athlete. And we were together, and I gave this testimony. We are brothers. We have the same father, and we have the same mother. God is our father. The new Jerusalem is our mother. This, to me, is a reality. This is the life of the body of Christ. Whereas the emphasis on the church being the one new man is on the person. And the person is Christ. Amen. So I'm, I'm anticipating one line of development is we have to learn what it means for Christ 
to be the person living in us. And Paul experienced this when he was out trying to kill us. Acts says he was breathing out murder. So that is one strong personality. Someone is now traveling to other cities just to capture you, imprison you, and vote for your execution. What kind of person is that? But after he was saved and he wrote to some churches in Galatia, he said, I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's a wonderful verse. But it, it has to actually be lived out. Christ is the person. Amen. Then Paul prayed in Ephesians 3 that Christ would make his home in our hearts. Amen. And the Greek verb oikeo is akin to the noun oikos meaning house. Christ wants to build a permanent dwelling place inside of your heart. Amen. With all of its rooms, the mind itself has more than one room. The reasoning room, the imagination room, the memory room, the concept room, the idea room. And in your emotion and in your will, plus your conscience, See, this will either happen in our lifetime or it won't. So one line of development is that wherever we are now, we can just be barely saved. We're just new to hearing some of this or we've been around for decades. Let's just come to the Lord where we are. Tell him, Lord, I turn my heart to you because I love you, because I believe in you. And I open my heart to you and I say, Lord, I choose to let you make your house in me. Amen. I want you to live in me. And Paul, this gives us a view of what the New Testament ministers had to go through. He told the Galatians, I'm in travail in birth again. Until Christ is formed in you. So if Paul would be here. He would discern the condition of all of us. He wouldn't condemn anyone. And I would follow him. We don't criticize anyone. We don't judge anyone. But in secret. There will be travailing. Not just giving a message then going out to Starbucks, whatever it is, and just forget about it. The message is just the opener. Do you realize Brother Nee, Brother Lee, traveled over us for Christ to be formed in us? Then point B goes a little further. As the body of Christ, the church needs Christ as its life. And as the new man, the church needs Christ as its person. Okay, we'll devote a whole message to this. So we need another life in addition to our natural life. And we need another person, Christ, in place of 
ourself. So understandably, not many Christians are going to be interested in this kind of message. To tell you, you are saved by grace. Now the Lord wants to terminate everything in you that's not Christ and replace you with Christ. And if you let that happen, it will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. You have no idea how happy you will be, what joy there will be, because the Lord will be full of joy. At last, I found someone. I found a Harvard graduate. I found an MIT PhD candidate. So bright. That's the way I made them. But they're so simple when they come to me and say, Lord, make your home in my heart. Be the person living in me and do this for the church as the one new man. Okay, point two. God's intention in his creation of man was to have a corporate man to express him and to represent him. So Genesis 1.26, let us make man corporately. Let them have dominion. And I'm not ashamed to quote exactly what the verse says. Male and female, he created them. So we're all on the same plane, though there is this created distinction. Male or female, we're created to express him and represent him in a corporate way. God's creation of man in Genesis 1 is a picture of the new man in God's creation. This means that the old creation is a figure or a type, it's a kind of a symbol, of the new creation. So you see how God created humanity in the beginning in his image, expression, with his dominion to represent him and to deal with the enemy. This is what a human being is. Then in Genesis 2, we read, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And the verb for formed refers to a potter forming a vessel. So maybe you never thought of yourself this way, but you do rather look somewhat like a bottle, and the opening is on top, a human being is a vessel designed to contain God in Christ as life in order to express him and represent him corporately. This is what's in God's heart. B, God created man in his own image and then gave man his dominion. Because there was an enemy there had been a creation long before what is recorded in Genesis 1 took place. We don't know how many millions and billions of years of gap there was. But the rebellion in the angelic realm had taken place. So there's an enemy lurking. And God the creator will not lower himself to deal directly with a lawless creature. So he must create another being to deal with this rebellious being. And that's us. We were created 
to fight. Of course, that has been distorted in the fall. But this is what we're here for. Image refers to God's positive intention. That man would bear God's image for his expression. So this is what God wants to see in you. And sooner or later, he will. You will be his expression. It's just a question whether it happens during your lifetime or during the coming age. But we will all end up to be part of the city of glory that's expressing God. Dominion refers to God's negative intention. That man would have God's dominion to represent him to deal with his enemy. So I'm anticipating what will come in Roman numeral 3. But what's your sense about this? About yourself personally? And about the church as you're experiencing it? Do you have the sense that uh, we're a warrior? Are you skilled in spiritual combat? Three nights ago, there was quite a breakthrough in our prayer meeting in Anaheim. We were praying along a certain line. And then uh, one brother just shared a burden. The Lord wants us to pray great prayers concerning the world situation and the situation in this country with the violence, the hatred, the enmity, the rebellion, the chaos. And here we are. We're praying sincerely like a child playing with his toys. Well, I was playing with my Lincoln Logs in 1944, listening to Happy Hank, the children's program on the radio. And my mother told me I came running into the kitchen because Happy Hank was interrupted by an announcement the D-Day invasion had started. So I'm telling mommy, planes, guns, bombs, boats. All I could do was go back to my Lincoln Logs. But my mother knew. The grown-ups knew. This is a crucial phase in the war. That how can we fulfill the part of dominion if we don't even know there's an enemy if we're not conscious of what he's doing and if we're not mature enough my grandsons are just boys they can't join the army they can't go to a recruiter and say I want to be a Navy SEAL well grow up first but th this is part of our responsibility. And in that prayer meeting, one experienced sister prayed. She said, Lord, we pray for the maturity that will make us the warrior. And so, again, this is a line of development. I'm not here criticizing anyone's lack of growth in life. I'm not here pointing the finger at you don't know how to pray the prayers of warfare. No. This is something in our rather near future. We should aspire to this. 
I want my life to contribute to the corporate expression of Christ. I want my life to contribute to the defeat of Satan on this earth. And, you know, the brothers, the single brothers, they have their lists for a spouse. The single sisters probably have a longer list for their spouse. But when it was the Lord gave me my present companion, because I was a widower, one of the items on the Lord's list was also on mine. She has to be a warrior. He's going to marry a warrior bride. Read Revelation 19. She's got her wedding garment on. Wedding feast starts. Then the Lord indicates, dear, we're, uh, we're going on a trip. Where are we going? Going to Armageddon. Well, what are we going to do there? We're going to defeat the enemy's armies. Well, what should I wear? What do you wear when you go to Armageddon? He will say, dear, what you have on is just fine. Your wedding dress is your warrior's uniform. Well, I'm simple enough when it comes down to it just to believe the Bible. I just read Revelation 19. I know it's symbolic, but I just believe it. The bride is going to make herself ready. And she is going to be a warrior bride who has been fighting for many years. Okay. So dominion refers to the negative intention that man would have God's dominion to represent him to deal with with his enemy. The Lord has the authority, but he wants us to represent him, to be in his name. And eventually you'll realize, you'll have some direct encounters, you will realize, sisters, the enemy is much more afraid of you than you are to him. The seed of the woman will deal with the enemy. So we summarize in point C, eventually the church, as the one new man, is the corporate man in God's intention. So the human race as a whole cannot be this. The Lord said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. It's only going to get worse. This doesn't mean we should be passive and not try to contribute to something positive, but the Lord's eyes are on the church. The church, as the one new man, is the corporate man in God's intention. So the church is not one new child. It's not one new boy. It's not one new kid. It's one new man, full-grown man corporately. This new man will fulfill the twofold purpose of expressing God and dealing with God's enemy. Amen. Then we have a particular section on the warrior. I think I've already covered the, the essence of this, but I read. The one new man is a warrior fighting against God's enemy. Now, Okay, the Lord cover me, the Lord cover us. 
tomorrow in 24 cities, the enemy is planning a direct attack. The principalities and powers in the air over this country have been mobilized by the enemy to bring all kinds of havoc, enmity, chaos, rebellion, disorder, division, hatred throughout the land. Like something I, I went through the 60s, it went through so many things, unprecedented, Bill, wouldn't you say? And so I'll be very careful, I'll be limited. Tomorrow in 24 cities, a group identified by Homeland Security and FBI as domestic terrorists will start what they consider a non-stop protest, violent if necessary, to overthrow the present administration. Well, when I found that out, when I checked the news on my iPad, I can't bear to watch it much on TV. You don't get much news. You get opinion. I just want to know the facts. I don't want your interpretation of the facts. Well, I'm not taking a political position on anything. I'm not for or against anyone as a person. But I cannot, as part of the one new man becoming a warrior, not pray preemptive prayers today and tonight. Lord, you know what your enemy is planning to do. We do not fight against flesh and blood. Our prayer, prayed from the heavens, is aimed at the enemy in the air. And Lord, we call on you, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Exercise your government authority to deal with this situation. Amen. Restore a semblance of respect, of civility, of mutual love, of harmony, so you have an unhindered way to use this country for the sake of your recovery and your Amen. ultimate move. To see the point of view is from the heavens. It's not political for this, for that, for this policy, against that policy. If you want to know what party I'm of, I'm a member of the Theocratic Party. I vote for God and the Lord and the throne. Amen. Whomever you choose, I say amen to you. Amen. And so this is actually going on. And I don't expect, I'm not going to send a text to my grandchildren and say, there's going to be a spiritual warfare you need to fight. But at least some of us gradually will realize what's going on. We will be motivated we will pray, Lord, grow in me, train me to fulfill the responsibility of representing you, to deal with your enemy. Train us, Lord. Amen. Okay, so I read this section. The warrior is not a status of the church, but an aspect of the church as the new man. So our primary purpose is to enjoy the Lord and express him. Because there's an enemy, the secondary purpose is to cause him to suffer loss. I want to testify something here. It happened to me when I was quite young. 
It was in 1968. So I was only not yet 29. The book, The Glorious Church, came out in English translation. And I don't say this lightly. My life, reading that book changed my life with the Lord and set a direction. In the first chapter, <clears throat> Brother Nee talks about the reason why God created us, of course, to express him. And then he says, we were created to do the work of God. And he defined it this way. It's to represent God and to cause the enemy to suffer loss on the earth. To suffer loss. If there's an enemy, God will not deal with him directly. He created us to express him and represent him. And then he says something like this. <clears throat> in preaching the gospel, or in teaching the Bible, or in caring for matters in the church, we can reserve something for ourselves. You can retain something. You're, you're fully given to it, yet part of you is reserved. And part of you is perhaps... You're saving yourself. But he said, when it comes to doing the work of God to cause Satan to suffer loss, there's no room for the self at all. And I read this soberly. I wasn't carried away with emotion. He wrote very clearly, and I knew, I could sense, he's this kind of person. He would not spare himself. He would not save his soul life. He would not shrink back from whatever the price was. And I made a decision. I'd been in the church life less than two full years. Lord, I choose to be among those who do the work of God. That was 49 years ago. Okay. I couldn't tell you, if we stayed here all night, the kind of things that have had to happen to answer that prayer. The dealings, the training, the touching, the reconstituting. I don't say I'm there yet. But I reaffirm this choice. I want to fulfill the purpose for which you created me, redeemed me, regenerated me, brought me in the church, and kept me here for 51 years. I want to be a part of that corporate person. So Lord, whatever experiences that I need, this is my choice. And the Lord has been true, and Brother Lee was more than faithful. And this is not to be a hero. This is to be the human we were created to be. And this is a corporate matter. So it's not me or anyone else being heroic. This is a corporate person 
composed of brothers and sisters who have chosen this way. They've considered the truth. They studied the truth. They prayed over it. Then calmly, yet with much feeling and with much love, they made a decision. I choose this way unto the end. Whatever you need to do, you do it. The Lord, sooner or later, in the local churches, in this age, and on the earth, will have a group of brothers and sisters who express him and represent him, who are maturing in the divine life, whose soul is being transformed, and whose will especially has become one with the Lord. And they're just set. Lord, we're here to build up your body, to manifest the one new man for the fulfillment of your purpose. But ultimately, after we are the body and the new man, what we most want, dear Lord, is to be your bride. But we first have to be the body, then the new man, then the bride. So we don't stop with just dealing with the enemy. We're not going to focus on that. We're not going to give him that much attention. Our heart is occupied with our lovely bridegroom. Lord, we want you to have the bride, but your bride has to first be the one new man, and the one new man has to be like this. And certain things actually have to happen in our being. You don't fight the enemy with a book of doctrine. Remember the sons of Sceva? They encountered this demon-possessed fellow. And they tried a third hand. We, we, we adjure you in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Third hand. Then the enemy knows you're a fake. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then they got really beaten up. So we're not playing around. But eventually, when we engage him as the corporate warrior and the one new man, we will, we will tell him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who is now the Lord of all, who destroyed you on the cross and who redeemed the earth. In his name, we tell you, retreat. Back off. This is our city. This is our country. You're, you're on your way, first through the abyss, then to the lake of fire. This will happen. The one new man fulfills God's purpose to express God and to fight against God's enemy for God's dominion, God's kingdom. The church as the corporate new man is the warrior. And the believers together make up this new man. Only the corporate new man as the warrior can wear the whole army of God. No individual can wear it. We must fight the spiritual warfare not individually, but in the body and in the one new man. And the key factor is going to be the prayers. 
what would happen if all over the earth, in hundreds and even thousands of local churches, the prayer ministry of the church were fully recovered, and now we all spend one hour a week together corporately, fully open to the Lord on the throne, and say, Lord, we are here to release on earth whatever you want to do in the heavens. You want us to pray about North Korea? We'll pray about North Korea. You want us to pray about Iran? We'll pray about Iran, not politically. But Lord, look what's happening. Look at the Christians in the gulags in North Korea. Look at the huge golden images, the idols set up in Pyongyang, in the place that was the scene of a tremendous revival a hundred years ago. Lord, for the sake of your righteousness, your holy name, your kingdom, move in North Korea. This is just an illustration. So when it's a time of, of an election, we don't pray politically. I will not let my soul be involved with any political thing, with any person. I'm a theocrat. Lord, what is your choice? Who is your choice? We know from Daniel 4, you put the lowest persons on there. You may choose someone nobody likes or very few people like. Apparently, that's what happened. <laughs> but Lord, as long as it's your sovereign choice, I say amen to you. Amen. Then you use him for your purpose as long as you want. Then if you want to remove him, remove him. We have to have this view. Okay, four. The one new man was created through Christ's death on the cross. The new man was created by Christ with two kinds of material. The redeemed created man and the divine element. On the cross, Christ put these materials together to produce a new man. But when Paul says he created the two into one new man, he was talking about the fundamental division among human beings. The Jews and those that are not Jews. The nations. Yes, yes. Many groups have been the subject of bias and discrimination and unjust laws and persecution. No doubt about it. But what people was the subject of the plan made in the Vansi conference to exterminate millions and millions of them. And yet today, anti-Semitism is rising up again in Europe and other places. So there was this fundamental division caused by God's calling the Jews, the Israelites, to work through them to bless everybody. So on the cross, he terminated every negative thing. He, he slew the enmity, and in himself, he built humanity and divinity together into one new man. And in the eyes of God, this corporate person is a reality. Amen. And we need to ask the Lord, make this real by revelation to me. Yes, we have to begin. It's a teaching based on verses in the Bible. Lord, show me what you showed Brother Lee 
40 years ago. Showing that the one new man, one corporate person in Christ exists before God. And then we pray, Lord, now manifest this new man you created on the earth. Manifest this corporate person in the local churches. In creating, in the creating of the new man, first our natural man was crucified by Christ. So that's another reality in the eyes of God. Paul said in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. He didn't say believing this. He said knowing this. If you don't feel you know it, just be honest with the Lord. You say, Lord, I don't know this. I can say I know it. I don't simply believe it. I know it. Every one of us in this room were crucified when Christ was crucified. My whole Finnish, Swedish ancestry, the Finns with their boast and their courage and bravery, characterized by the word sisu, we were all crucified. The whole natural man was crucified and a whole new person corporately was created. Then through the crossing out of the old man, Christ imparted the divine element into us, causing us to become a new entity. So here, here's another line of development. The positive development is the renewing through the spirit of the mind, growing into maturity, being transformed into his image from glory to glory, Christ making his home in your heart. But another line of development is realizing that every part of your natural being, every part of the old man in you needs to be actually terminated by the application of the cross to your culture, to your nationality, to everything of the old creation that sets you apart from other human beings. All that's the old man. Social class, hierarchy. I appreciated those that were called the brethren in Ireland and in England in the, about 200 years ago. Many had titles. That's a gentrified country, right? Those that were ladies and sirs and this and that, they all repudiated their social titles. They just say, I'm just a believer. I'm just a brother. I'm just a sister. Well, that was a good beginning. We'll see tomorrow in the new man. There are no Americans. There are no Finns. There are no Germans. I don't have to go on and on. But Christ is all and in all. So for that to happen, what the Lord accomplished in crucifying the old man has to be worked out in us. See, the one new man created through the creating death of Christ equals the body formed in Christ's resurrection and ascension. Hence, the one new man and the body are synonymous terms and may be used interchangeably. Okay, in the last section, good. It'll be half an hour for a response. The Bible reveals that the one new man is not an individual, 
but a corporate universal man. See, we all have our own self-consciousness of ourselves as a person. Okay. Then certain aspects in the spiritual realm are also easy for us to connect with, like being a believer. So a believer is an individual who believes in Christ as the Son of God. And it's easy for us to connect with the expression children of God. Yes, I'm a person. I was born of human parents. Now I've been regenerated by God the Father. I'm a child of God. So in each case, it is understandably an individual. And our consciousness is limited to this individual consciousness. I'm a believer. I'm a brother. I'm a child of God. But when it comes to being a member of the body of Christ, things are different. Now you are not a complete unit. You are part of something corporate. And the life that you received, which is Christ himself, is the life of the body corporately. So the life we have in our spirit is the life of the body. But most of us, I say generally, do not have very much of any consciousness of the body, even though we have the life of the body in our spirit, because other elements in our being cause our self-consciousness to suppress the body consciousness. So as the cross operates in us and touch these elements, Christ as the life of the body floods my soul. And yes, I'm still Ron, a human being. I always will be. I'm still Ron, a believer. I'm still Ron, a brother. But I'm also a member a small part of the body. And I cannot live without the body. I cannot live without the sisters who pray for us, traveling brothers. I can't live without you. I can't live without fellowship. It's impossible. I can't give a message without you. It's impossible. But then we have to advance to another level we are also part of a corporate person. Okay, we still exist. We still have our identity. We're going to be recognizable forever in the New Jerusalem. We won't be anonymous slabs of Jasper. We will recognize one another. We'll all be glorified. We'll have to get used to it. But we'll recognize. I'll recognize Bill. I won't know his new name, only he will know, he won't, won't know my new name, but Bill, yes. But now in our being, there's a consciousness that we're part of a corporate person. And this consciousness comes from Christ living in us, being formed in us, and making his home in us. 
And this Christ is conscious of this corporate person. That is why he decided to save Saul of Tarsus in a particular way. Saul was persecuting the believers, breathing out murder. He saw a light from heaven. He saw the Lord. The Lord spoke to him and said, Why are you persecuting me? And Paul was shattered when he met this corporate person. He met Christ personally. Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So in a very real sense, the whole New Testament revelation can be summarized in a word with two letters. Me. A corporate me. Now we cannot force ourselves to become conscious of the corporate one new man. And I will not try to make anyone conscious of the one new man. It doesn't work. What we need is positively for Christ to renew our mind, to transform our soul, to make his home in our heart, and to grow in us. And we need the cross in the spirit applied to the natural man in every way, and then gradually we realize I'm a small part of a corporate person. And even if I seemingly am standing alone on the podium, I know in reality I'm not standing alone. I'm not. I'm a member of the body. I'm part of the one new man. The speaking is coming from the body and from the one new man for the body and the one new man. So this is a line of development. Don't beat up yourself to say, I've been here for 35 years and I'm not conscious of the body and I'm not conscious of the one new man. What benefit is that going to do? Yes, Lord, just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to really grow in me. I want to know what, what does the brother mean? I think... It's real when he says it. I sense it's real. What does he mean? What is he saying? What is he talking about? What is the consciousness of the body? What is the consciousness of the one new man? Make this real to me. So that I may live in this reality. The one new man is the corporate God man. The aggregate of all the God men. We the believers in Christ are all one with Christ. To be the new man. We all are parts of the one new man. I don't know how else to say it. We're just a part. There are many believers. But there is only one new man in the universe. When we are the new Jerusalem. There will be millions of glorified believers. But there will only be one person. Christ in all of us. We will still be there. You'll be you, but you'll be you with Christ living in you. I'll be me with Christ living in me. And that one corporate person will be the wife of our Redeemer, the Lamb. All the believers are components of this one corporate and universal new man. This is the truth. So right now it may be a teaching. Okay, we start. We all start with the objective teaching. Then we need light to shine on the objective teaching. It becomes real. It becomes reality. 
then that will be followed by the experience. The phrase in himself in Ephesians 2.15 indicates that Christ was not only the creator of the one new man, but also the sphere in which and the essence with which the one new man was created. God's purpose is in Christ. The new man was created in Christ. We just need to be immersed in Christ, filled with Christ, saturated with Christ, clothed with Christ, immersed in Christ until Christ is all and in all. And this Christ is the one person in the corporate one new man. I end by saying this. I live with a hope, a twofold hope. If the Lord's plan for my future is otherwise, then he'll supply me to accept his arrangement in due time. But my hope is this, is twofold. Personally, I'm not yielding to death tonight. I'm hoping to be raptured with you among the first fruits to the throne. And I hope this for all of you here. All of you. I don't give up on anyone. I don't consider anyone an impossible case. If there's one, it's me and the Lord has been getting through this. But the other hope is even higher. I really hope to be here with you to see the body as a reality built up and the one new man matured and manifested on the earth and to see God's eternal purpose fulfilled by a corporate person expressing him and representing him to deal with the enemy. Amen. Why not? Amen. Why not here? Amen. Why not now? Amen. And why not with us? Amen. So please take a minute if you're so inclined and pray with someone nearby. Then we have more than 20 minutes for some sharing. The brothers will direct us how to do that. Please pray.